HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Yolele, the revolutionary African foods company. Learn more at yolele.com. Hi, I'm Mike Schreiber. Welcome to The Shameless Chef, the show that takes us back in time to home kitchens in the 1970s, but still has a lot to teach us today. I developed this show with Michael Davenport in 1977. He was the original host of The Shameless Chef, and he shared his fearless attitudes towards food and encouraged home cooks to have fun and take some risks in the kitchen. I'm excited to keep this legacy alive and share The Shameless Chef with you on Heritage Radio Network. Today's episode revisits ingredients you may be overlooking. Michael shares recipes that will inspire you to use these simple foods in new ways. And Michael and I were having a conversation one afternoon just before a recording session, and he said something that continues to resonate with me after all these years. We were discussing the basics of food preparation. I was looking for tips on specific ingredients or the perfect timing of a certain dish, and suddenly he turned to me and said, I know I've said this before, but I want to make sure it's the first thing you write down on any recipe, and that is imagination. He said I should not only be imaginative, but I should also imagine what the food will taste like as I'm preparing it. That will guide me in selecting the ingredients or even creating the menu. And I've thought about that frequently over the years. It's been the biggest and best addition of my kitchen more than anything else. We tend to forget about ham. We think of it as half of ham and eggs or something that's wedded to Swiss between two slices of rye. But ham as a roast uh, or ham steak properly seasoned and glazed is a major dining experience. (laughs) This is The Shameless Chef, and for this edition, let's uh, ham it up. Come spring, encouraged, no doubt, by large agricultural combines and by brilliant advertising, the pages of the food and service magazines burst with lovely pictures of ham glazed to a fine ceramic finish, scored to a texture of museum quality, and garnished with everything from green-stained pineapple to maraschino cherries. Ham is traditional at Easter, though nobody's ever told me why. But ham is great any time of year, and it's available any time of year. I speak of the whole ham, the hind leg of a pig, uh, be it fresh, smoked, cured, or, or what have you. Cooking one is simple. Just follow the directions on the package. 
I think it's kind of true of living. When all else fails, read the directions. Anyway, cook according to the size and the style of the ham. Uh, baste as cooking, glaze before serving, and smirk while eating. <laughs> Whole hams are usually designated as ready-to-eat or pre-cooked, all of which has to do with governmental regulations. But they all require some cooking, and that's where you add the flavorings. You can baste with uh, cider, sherry, white wine, or various fruit juices. Ginger ale is good as a ham baste. I uh, agree with James Beard. It might be wise to avoid that southern tradition of basting with cola. <laughs> but ham is economical, too, really, even though the original investment seems high. It's around, then, for buffets, for ham slices, sandwiches with Swiss cheese, uh, frying with any number of things, including eggs. Ham and bean casserole is great. Ham salad, hard to beat. In the crush and rush of modern-day living and the pressures of everyday demands on your time, bet you forgot about ham, didn't you? <laughs> well, I haven't. This is Michael A. Davenport, uh, shameless, as expected. Godspeed, noble ham. Here we go again with another of those funny fruits, you know... Prunes? Always followed by a laugh. Well, here's another giggle for you. Gooseberries. I'll wait for it. This is the shameless chef. Bet you forgot about gooseberries, didn't you? You don't know about gooseberries, hmm? A lot of people don't. English they are originally. I don't believe they're native to this country, but let me know if I'm wrong. Uh, how to describe them to you? Well, in their green state, they look a lot like seedless grapes. The flavor is sort of uh, green and, and cool and really more like a grape than a berry, really. Later, gooseberries, as, as they ripen, turn deep yellow and sometimes have tinges of red. And most people don't know about them, and therefore they don't cook them. If you think the name of gooseberry is funny, then you should know about the classic English dish called gooseberry fool. Now, wouldn't that be something to encounter on a menu? You know, it's really nothing more than gooseberries that are cooked in sugar water until done and then pureed. And this is then blended into a mixture of whipped cream, the heavy cream, or our cream and custard. Oh, I'll send you, as usual, the, the detailed recipe if you drop me a note here at the station. But generally, gooseberries can be poached, oh, lightly in sweetened water and then used as a, a topping for ice cream, like you would any, any other berry. If you live or, or have lived on the eastern seaboard, then the gooseberry is no stranger to you. The Middle West and the West Coast have not, at this recording, become hotbeds of gooseberry fans, as far as I know. I've seen gooseberries canned, and in grocery stores, uh, specialty grocery stores. I've never sampled them, in spite of the fact that I'm very enthusiastic about canned foods. But should you encounter gooseberries in your local produce market, I would encourage you to try them. There are other ways, uh, plain, just with cream, like any fresh fruit. Also, I've experimented with them and found they go nicely with fish dishes, much like green seedless grapes do. Uh, this is Michael A. Davenport, the Shameless Chef, believing generally that experimentation is part of the joy of eating. Just call me a gooseberry fool. We'll be right back after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Yolele, a revolutionary African foods company based in Brooklyn, New York. Yolele was founded by Senegalese chef, activist, and cookbook author Pierre Tiam. Yolele creates income opportunities for smallholder farming communities, supports their sustainable farming practices, and shares Africa's ingredients and cuisines with the world 
starting with Fonio. Fonio is a delicious, nutrient-dense, gluten-free ancient West African grain. Fonio is also drought-resistant, so it's good for the planet. Yolele is creating a market for Fonio and other African crops grown under resilient farming systems to foster a more biodiverse, drought-tolerant landscape across West Africa. Try Yolele's Fonio, quick-cooking Fonio pilafs, and new Fonio chips boldly flavored with the ingredients and flavors of West Africa. Sign up for their newsletter for recipes, notes from the field, and culinary discourse, and get a free bag of Fonio with your next order of $32 or more. Learn more at yolele.com. That's Y-O-L-E-L-E.com. And now, more stories from The Shameless Chef. This is The Shameless Chef. It wasn't long ago that I found myself with a generous supply of fresh green bell peppers. I stared at them in the kitchen for quite a while. Visions of hundreds of dreadfully stuffed peppers danced through my head, along with a painful squint that accompanies incipient nausea. But then I thought of something else to do with green peppers, and I'll share it with you. What is it about bell peppers? The first thing that crosses most people's minds is stuff them. When I think of all the boarding houses, all the cafeterias, all the hash-sling places that delight in stuffed peppers, my gorge rises. First, stuffed peppers prepared with some care and attention to the stuffing are delightful. The trouble is that most cooks use the pepper as a receptacle for dreary and inedible leftovers. Well, on the recent occasion I speak of, the day of the pepper plethora, I found myself in an unusual situation. I had no leftovers with which to stuff them. Remembering all the many ways I'd eaten peppers and applying a little logic, I came up with something that will remain a common denominator in my vocabulary of quick and easy delicacies, green pepper quiche. The French word quiche is interchangeable with the word pie, so let's start with that idea, assuming you've never learned how to quiche. I'll send you the basic recipe if you don't know how. Just drop me a note here at the station. You make a pie crust or you buy one. Chop up a couple of green peppers or so after seeding and stemming them. There is a way to peel green peppers, but I, I rarely do it. Uh, likewise, chop up some onions, oh, two or so, medium size. Put them in the pie crust along with the peppers. Add about a cup of grated cheese and now fill with custard, you know, egg and milk mixture combined with salt and pepper, perhaps some nutmeg. Bake customarily. The result is delightful. If you're at all into the quiche thing, you've probably graduated from the classic onion pie recipe to include you know, seafood and spinach and asparagus and what have you. So try the green pepper variety for a change. Particularly if you have, as I do, a friend who is very heavily into backyard truck gardening. This is the shameless chef, Michael A. Davenport, recalling once again those endless stuffed green peppers. I might suggest the next time you have the urge to stuff a pepper, try the red sweet ones. Variety being, said he with remarkable originality, the spice of life. Peas porridge hot, peas porridge cold, etc., etc., etc. There's a whole wonderful world of peas out there. They run the gamut from dreadful boarding house peas creamed with carrots to the petit pois gently simmered in their own juice with a little onion and lettuce leaf. This is the shameless chef. Take this cooking suggestion, peas. Oh, that Henny Youngman, well... 
peas are about my favorite vegetable in as much as one could said to have a favorite veg. I like canned peas when they're just gently heated and not overcooked. I like fresh garden peas that you have to shell by hand and cook in the classic French manner, as mentioned earlier. You, you put them in a shallow pan with heaps of butter, salt, and fresh cracked pepper. You might add some minced onion, a shallot, or chive. You cover them with a lettuce leaf or so and barely simmer them. No water. Gentle, subtle, immaculately fresh. Another way to cook peas, other than dried and made into soup, which is marvelous, is the oriental fashion, in their pods and barely cooked. I say oriental manner, for that's how we usually think of them as, as part of oriental cooking, and they're called snow peas. Now, the French have another name for them, for indeed snow peas don't belong to the orient only. They call them mange tout. Mange, M-A-N-G-E, tout, T-O-U-T, all, eat them all, shells and all. Snow peas are available almost all the time in markets of any quality. You can even buy them frozen if you simply can't wait for the season. And there's no other way than this to cook snow peas. Minimum of water, lots of butter, salt, and pepper. In what little water you use, and I mean less than a quarter cup, cook them one minute only. That's all. Otherwise, you lose the crunch, the freshness, the green pleasance of them. You can blanch snow peas in a quick dip in boiling water and, and chill them. Serve them with vinaigrette dressing as a salad with them some bacon bits. They're wonderful combined with cold cucumbers, watercress, and sour cream, and maybe some dillweed. Cold with mustard mayonnaise, they make great hors d'oeuvre. I've tried to find out why these particular peas are called snow peas with no luck whatsoever. Perhaps you'll write and tell me. Uh, they're not just immature peas. They're something else entirely. <laughs> they're something else, period. This is Michael A. Davenport. Smile and say, peas. Please, subscribe to The Shameless Chef wherever you get your podcasts. The voice you heard throughout this episode was Michael Davenport, the host of The Shameless Chef, who unfortunately passed in 1985, but lived a truly vibrant life. The Shameless Chef is produced by Dylan Hoyer and me, Mike Schreiber, with podcast development and additional production by Kat Johnson. The original theme song for The Shameless Chef was composed by Chip Davis. Armin Spengen composed the theme music for this podcast. The Shameless Chef is powered by Simplecast. The Shameless Chef is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.